continue our vision series on the kingdom of God. And uh, let's pray as we begin. Heavenly Father, Heavenly Father, we thank you for the scriptures which, which speak, which declare, which testify, which set the mark and define truth. And we trust your word that it's true, that it stands the test and it's relevant to every people in every place. And so simply, Holy Spirit, speak to us today. Build the knowledge that we have. Extend our understanding and grow our faith. Help us to understand you and your purposes and all that you are about. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So our theme at uh, the moment is around the kingdom of God. It's part of our vision series we're preaching through of building God's kingdom. Uh, Phil pre- preached a couple of weeks on it, uh, as did I. But wanting to just kind of take a little step back and say, what is the kingdom of God? We mention it so much. It's on our vision statement. We're seeking to build God's kingdom. But it begs the question, well, what are we building if you were on a building site, you'd need to kind of follow the plans uh, to, in order to get the construction right. And as we're called co-laborers, as we're called into serving Jesus and building the God's kingdom as part of this church, it's worthwhile just thinking, well, what does that mean? I could kind of go around and ask you a little bit about what you might think, but I won't do that. There's a picture here. It's kind of, I was in uh, Tesco and I saw Thornton's have got a marvelous advent calendar. Uh, it's, it's a very grand thing uh, for the way up to Christmas. But this is a picture of the nativity scene that uh, was put out in the Metropolitan Museum of Art in New York. And it looks all very twee. There's lots of angels and candles and, and obviously Jesus and Mary and, and Joseph and uh, it's a bit faint, isn't it? But there are the cows here, and uh, it's a slightly ch- cut-down version. But the wise men, and all those kind of key features. But I don't know if you notice what's kind of slightly different about the nativity scene. If you get this right, you can be the first in the coffee queue and your choice of biscuits. Yeah, there's, it's, it's, not in the main, it's not in the stable, is it? They're very cleverly, very cleverly, the, the artists, those who've put this together, have set the nativity scene in front of these Roman or these Greek columns, and they're decaying. And the artist, very powerfully, if you're into these things, is saying, in the birth of Jesus, a new kingdom comes. And that the kingdoms of this world, the kingdoms of, uh, of all society and institution that aren't of God are crumbling and decaying and are being consigned to history. For the kingdom of God is coming. I wonder how many people spotted that as they progressed around New York. But a powerful symbol, even in the birth, even in the, the Christmas story that we are coming up to very shortly, it's all about the king and the kingdom. So some key verses. Uh, Should we read these together? Uh, It keeps you awake, uh, but also speaks scripture for us. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. You know that's from Matthew's gospel because it tells you at the top, but it's where Jesus uh, was asked by his disciples, teach us to pray 
the Lord's Prayer, the Disciples' Prayer, the Kingdom Prayer. Let's read this one. Matthew 6, 33, again, the Sermon on the Mount. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Seek first his kingdom. Right in the middle of the stuff of life, he's talking about money and worry and relationships. And he's talking about salt and light, and he's talking about what goes on in our heart and how we work that faith out. And he says, seek first the kingdom. He also says in Mark, at the right at the start of the gospel, Jesus comes and announces this. Let's say it together. The time has come, he said. The kingdom of God is near. Repent and believe the good news. Kingdom of God. If you're reading Matthew's gospel, he often uses a, a parallel phrase, the kingdom of heaven, in the gospel of Matthew. Very kind of probably interchangeable, but he, Matthew was writing to a Jewish audience. They understood that the kingdom of heaven, the reign and rule of God. Very much part of Jesus' teaching. In all the parables, most of the parables, they're asking a question, who is my neighbor? What's the kingdom? What's this going to be like? And he says, the kingdom is like the parables focus. That as Jesus serves and ministers and, 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 and preaches and prays for the sick and confronts the establishment and the powers, it's about the kingdom. Someone said it like this, the call to follow Jesus is a call to participate with him in the divine rescue, helping people along a journey out of bondage in Satan's kingdom into the joyous freedom of God's rule. The rescued become the rescuers. The kingdom of God. Central in Jesus' teaching, in Jesus' mission, and his message. The reign and rule of God, I, I put this little picture here, God's sovereign, dynamic, and eschatological rule and reign. You like big words on a Sunday morning. God's sovereign, that's to do with his reign. The sovereign, you know, we talk about the sovereign of England and, and Wales and Northern Ireland, Britain, the queen. Dynamic, meaning powerful. It's coming. The power of God and the eschatological rule. In other words, he's saying there is an end time coming, that there is a focus, there is a trajectory, there's a journey in our history, in our world. It's not by random, it's not by chance, it's not gonna just fizzle out. But in the rule and reign of God, his purposes are coming. Gives us hope, gives us confidence, a little picture to say yes, the future is bright. Future is good. Future God will bring. William Temple writes this as we turn our clocks backwards. Winter comes, darkness, all those sort of things. In the media stories of the last week, you think horrific things. But understanding this, Temple said, we, while we deliberate, God reigns. When we decide wisely, God reigns. When we decide foolishly, God reigns. When we serve God in humble loyalty, God reigns. 
When we serve God self-assertively, God reigns. When we rebel and seek to withhold our service, God reigns. The Alpha and the Omega, which is and which was and which is to come, the Almighty, the kingdom of God. His reign and rule in history and that is being worked out. The kingdom of God is so significant. The kingdom of God is vital. The kingdom of God is so massive. If I was to ask you what the kingdom of God is about, you may come up with some words, and those words are probably good. Just think about what do you think I'm meaning by the kingdom of God? God's reign, yeah. What does that mean? Supremely in charge. What does that mean? I'm like a four-year-old now. Why? Why? Control? How does he do that? Through us? Partly? And in spite of us, yeah. God's sovereign rule. His dynamic, his powerful, his coming kingdom. See, one of the things as Christians we can do all the time and we're being pushed by society to do is limit, is to constrain, is to have the blinkers put on us about God's kingdom, his rule and reign. We just think too small. I want you to have your vision enlarged. I want you to have your mind blown away. I want you to have your conception startled again about the rule and the reign of God's kingdom. We can't think big enough. But so often in our society, we're told, well, it's private, isn't it, religion? It's to do with what we get on with in our heart. And it shouldn't really have anything to do outside of the family, even if we allow it to be part of the family. Has no place within our wider world. That's wrong. The kingdom of God has everything to do with every aspect of our world and universe. Think bigger. When we say we're building God's kingdom as part of our vision in this church, it's a big picture. It's a mind-blowing. It's an awesome. It's an extravagant. It's a big thing that we're committed to do. It works itself out in so many ways. And I want us to, to think about this from the Old Testament. We could talk about this from Jesus, but, but I want you to see it from the Old Testament. It's writ large, written. I've put this little picture of the things being woven together. Uh, there's a, a picture of someone making a basket, loads of themes coming out in Isaiah, being woven together that speak of God's kingdom. And Isaiah the prophet, I'm sure, must have been a little bit perplexed and excited of how does it all fit together? How do all these themes weave and work in the majesty and the wonder of God's kingdom. Well, I hope to be able to show you a few of those. Is that all right? Good stuff. A few nods. God will come. You know that we have lots of traditional verses at Christmas. The coming king. But Isaiah, in his prophetic vision, in the view of what the kingdom is about, says, God 
will come. He will bring good news. So Isaiah 40, 9 to 10. You who bring good tidings or good news to Zion, go up on a high mountain. You who bring good tidings to Jerusalem, lift up your voice with a shout. Lift it up. Do not be afraid. Say to the towns of Judah, here is your God. See, the sovereign Lord comes with power and his arm rules for him. See, his reward is with him and his recompense accompanies him. Isaiah the prophet spoke into a dark time that the nation of God was straying, that there wasn't much evidence of the power and the rule of God because the king on the throne was after his own benefit and his own kind of status and power and prestige. And there was false worship and idolatry and people seemed to not care a little bit about God at all. And Isaiah the prophet speaks into that situation and says, God will come. It won't be a time where he's just sort of located in a temple that everyone's forgotten, God will come and be amongst us. He says in Isaiah 52, how beautiful on the mountains are the feet of those who bring good news, who proclaim peace, who bring good tidings, who proclaim salvation, who say to Zion, your God reigns. For the prophet, this was great news because there was the question, where is God that they were being oppressed by foreign rulers and, and powers and situations seemed to be swamping national life. And people's home life was being challenged because there were raiders and those who would come and rob and steal. And they were saying, where is God? And Isaiah said, he will come. And the good news is we live because we know Jesus has come. We know the story. But Isaiah's vision says God will come. Be reminded of the joy and the hope, and the blessing. It's good news, not bad news. It's good news, great news. Isaiah 60, arise, shine, your light has come. The glory of the Lord rises upon you. See, darkness covers the earth, and thick darkness is over the people's But The Lord rises upon you, and his glory appears over you. Again, Isaiah 60, the sun will be no more be your light by day, nor will the brightness of the moon shine on you, for the Lord will be your everlasting light, and your God will be your glory. Your sun will never set again, and your moon will wane no more. The Lord will be your everlasting light, and your days of sorrow will end. God will do it. Brothers and sisters, in a view of the kingdom, have a view that God has come. There's some gentle nodding. Great. God will come. But Isaiah sees more. He says there is a coming king. Isaiah 11 is a beautiful, beautiful passage. Turn with me in your Bibles. I encourage you to have them. I'll read it if you want to, to listen. A a shoot will come up from the stump of Jesse. From his roots, a branch will bear fruit. The spirit of the Lord will rest on him. And the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and of power, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. And he will delight in the fear of the Lord. He will not judge by what he sees with his eyes or decide by what he hears with his ears. But with righteousness, he will judge the needy. With justice, he will give decisions to the poor of the earth. He will strike the earth with the rod of his mouth. With the breath of his lips he will slay the wicked. Righteousness will be his belt. And faithfulness the sash around his waist. Lovely words, aren't they? 
But remember, these aren't just airy-fairy kind of constructed in the atmosphere. These are words into the context where the poor were being oppressed and the land was being taken and they were finding there was no one to plead their cause. This was the time where there was despotic rulers on and in government who were oppressing and their friends were taking the cream of the money and saying, it's our power, it's our ways. Let's just ignore the poor and the marginalized. Let's make, let's make government policy and let's make, let's make treaties with other nations. They'll look after us. And into that prophetic voice, to the rulers of the time comes a king will come who won't judge by what he sees and what feathers his nest. He will serve and care for and bring hope and life to the poor of this world. He will act with righteousness. He won't act selfishly. He won't act cruelly, but faithfully and with goodness. This is good news. The king will come. mentions the root of, of Jesse, the stump of Jesse. It's to do with the Davidic king, the promise of a coming king who won't be like King David and his descendants, but will be better and greater and will eclipse even David, even Solomon. Isaiah 4, 2 to 6, Isaiah 11, Isaiah 9, 6 to 7, for to us, let's read this together, for to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, of the increase of his government and peace there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. You know, for the astute eyes and heart, God will come and a king will come and there will be one. Not only is God coming, but there'll be a new human king who will be God. And his reign and rule will know no end. And his government and his kingdom will increase and increase and know no end. We're in that day. God will come. The king will come. And Isaiah says the spirit will be given, the coming Holy Spirit. Till the Spirit is poured out upon us from on high and the desert becomes a fertile field and the fertile field seems like a forest. So many pictures in Isaiah of, of streams of water, of oil, the promised pouring out of his Spirit. I was once in Death Valley, the lowest place uh, in, uh, in uh, I think it's in the world, but in, at least in America, it's minus 200 feet and it's, uh, it's kind of in Nevada, California border, and it's just hot. You, apparently, you can fry an egg on a rock. We were there in Maine. It wasn't quite hot enough, so we got a bit of a mess on the floor when we tried it. <laughs> but the, as you drive into the Death Valley and you go down and down and down and down, it is just bleak. The, you know, the heat shimmer is massive. It's just, you know, like those cowboy and western films. It's just... Whoa. And you get out of the car, and it is just hot. You know, it is baking. And on the way in, it says, take lots of water, drink lots of water, 
if you break down, they say stay in your car, but it cooks you, you know, you make sure you've got a mobile. It's a day, it's no wonder it's called Death Valley. But every 13 years or so, they get some rain. And in that moment when rain comes, the Death Valley, this parched, dry, arid, baked land, bursts into bloom. And it's amazing, people flock there because life has come. And God says, I will pour out my spirit and life will come. Where it's dead and barren and lifeless and parched and it seems nothing will grow, his spirit will be poured out. Isaiah 35, uh, 1 to 7, we won't read the whole lot. Isaiah 44, 1 to 7, but this. For I will pour water on the thirsty land and streams on the dry ground. I will pour out my spirit on your offspring and my blessing on your descendants. Isn't that great? If you're dry, dusty and weary, as we look upon our family life, as we look upon our national life, as we look upon this world and think, God, it's dry, there's barrenness, there's no fruitfulness, there's no life. Remember, he says, I will pour out my spirit. It's a promise of God. Great hope. How are you doing? How's your vision of the kingdom going? God will come. He will come as a king and he will send his spirit. Well, you go, yeah, I know, I've read the New Testament. But I want you to know that this is true. This is promised. This was the plan and purpose of God. And not only that, Isaiah says, look at what it will look like. It will be astounding. Coming salvation, universal in scope and effect. Isaiah 49, 6, he says, Is it too small a thing for you to be my servant, to restore the tribes of Jacob, and to bring back those of, of Israel I have kept? I will also make you a light to the Gentiles, that you may bring my salvation to the ends of the earth. What about Isaiah 51? My righteousness draws near speedily. My salvation is on the way and my arm will bring justice to the nations. The islands will look to me and wait in hope for my arm. Lift up your eyes to the heavens. Look at the earth beneath. The heavens will vanish like smoke. The earth will wear out like a garment and its inhabitants die like flies. But my salvation will last forever. My righteousness will never fail. It's good news. It really is good news that this gospel is for all people. Well, you know that, but it really is. As we pray for the persecuted church in a week, we play our part in that. We're not expected to go uh, necessarily and fly to these 50 most persecuted lands. But you know, brothers and sisters, we can spend an hour and pray and God's kingdom will come. That we can be sure. How can I say that? The increase of his government will know no end and the zeal of the Lord will accomplish it. What's his zeal? That every nation should hear and know. Please be encouraged. Please be encouraged. Note, God's salvation encompasses all of life. Have your vision enlarged. Forgiveness of sins and healing liberation and captives for freedom. Let me just read a couple of, of these. Isaiah 33, uh, 24. I would put them on screen, but there's so many of them. There's so many screens, so uh, I thought we could do some paperwork as well. 33, 24. No one living in Zion will say, I am ill, and the sins of those who dwell there will be forgiven. 
promise and the scope and the rule and reign of God. 43, 25. I, even I, says the Lord, I'm he who blots out your transgressions for my own sake and remembers your sins no more. In the communion service, we pronounce often that reminder, if you confess your sin, he is faithful and just to forgive it. He remembers it no more. And yet we often remember it. We recall it. We live in it. It shackles us. It, it binds us. It restricts us. Hear what the prophet in the Old Testament says. Remembers your sin no more. Be free. You're forgiven. Be at peace. Isaiah 29, verse 17 to 19. In a very short time, will not Lebanon be turned into a fertile field and the fertile field seem like a forest? In that day, the deaf will hear the words of the scroll and out of the gloom and darkness, the eyes of the blind will see. Once more, the humble will rejoice in the Lord. The needy will rejoice in the Holy One of Israel. 35, 5 to 6. And the eyes of the blind will be opened and the ears of the deaf and stopped. Then will the lame leap like a deer and the mute tongue shout for joy. Water will gush forth in the wilderness and streams in the desert. 42, 6 and 7. I, the Lord, have called you in righteousness. I will take hold of your hand. I will keep you and will make you to be a covenant for the people and a light for the Gentiles, to, the, uh, to open eyes that are blind, to free captives from prison and to release from the, du- the dungeon those who sit in darkness. See the scope? You know, you're probably thinking, yeah, but we've prayed for people and we've, we don't see that. Part of the epic vision of Isaiah is the coming king. And we see in Jesus, his establishment as he, as he, he raises up the lame and they do leap for joy. The passage I read at the start in Acts 4 was about a man crippled at the temple gate who rose up and was dancing for joy. That as Jesus preached the gospel and prayed for those who were blind, the eyes were open and the ears were unstopped and the mute spoke. This is the kingdom of God. It's coming. What else? Well, the peace and the shalom, the, the, not just the absence of war, but the wholeness of life. Life and liberty. Isaiah eleven six. The wolf will live with the lamb and the leopard will lie down with the goat and the calf and the lion will be a yearling together and a little child will lead them. Who's been to the zoo recently? Anyone? Should go, it's good fun. <clears throat> One of the things you notice in the zoo, there's a lot of bars and a lot of cages and a lot of glass. Because zookeepers are quite wise, and they know that if they put the goat with the lion, it's going to be messy. It's going to be unpleasant.
But in the reign and rule of God, in this coming kingdom, everything that causes things to fall apart and be broken and be violent together will end. In other words, when we say we're going to be building God's kingdom, we're saying we're going to be working for peace. We're going to be working for reconciliation. We're going to be working in God's plan that these things that war and enemies should know peace and fullness of life. Blessed are the peacemakers. But not only that, it's, you know, when you think of the kingdom of God, we think about human beings. In these passages, the reminder that the kingdom of God is for the whole of creation. You know, this passage we've just read is about lions and lambs and, and creatures. There's another verse that talks about how the, the young child will put his hand in the viper's pit. I teach this in India, and I say, and there's often little children around, and I call, one of, I'm not cruel, but I, you know, I call the child, and, and I say, if I was to the mum, I said, if I, if I had a, a bottle here with a viper in it, would you let me put your child's hand in this, in this bottle? And they go, oh, no, 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 snakes bite. But the view of the kingdom says, that which we know is temporary, it will change. That we haven't yet seen it fully, but we will. For God will accomplish this. Isaiah 65, never again, listen to this, it's reverse of the fall. Never again will there, be, will there be in it, in the kingdom, an infant who lives but a few days, or an old man who does not live out his years. He who dies at 100 will be thought to a mere youth. It's good news, isn't it? He who fails to reach a hundred will be considered accursed. They will build houses and dwell in them. They will plant vineyards and eat their fruit. Vineyards take a long time, don't they? There's one outside the back of my house, another house, and it, keeps, it takes forever to grow. The prophet says, you'll be able to plant it, and you won't, no one will rob your house, no one will force you out of your land. You'll be able to receive the, the, the effort of your labors, the fruit of your labors. No longer will they build houses and others live in them or plant and others eat. For as the days of a tree, so will be the days of my people, my chosen ones, will long enjoy the works of their hands. They will not toil in vain or bear children doomed to misfortune. For they will be a people blessed by the Lord, they and their descendants with them. Before they call, I will answer. While they are speaking, I will hear. The wolf and the lamb will feed together and the lion will eat straw like the ox. But dust will be the serpent's food. They will neither harm nor destroy on all my holy mountain, says the Lord. Amen. You know, it's right that Christians get stuck in. You know, I'm proud of Christian heritage, not all of it, but the fact that there have been pioneers in this world who have made a difference and we live in the legacy of what they started. The Wilberforces and the Booths and those who started the labor movement to change industrial relations. I know there's conservative party supporters here. We can have that political debate another time. But there's so much of God's kingdom that doesn't just relate to what we do in church on a Sunday in our own private religious lives. It has everything to do with our world and the quality of life for the wretched and the least and the most desperate. And care of our environment. And an end to that. He will judge between the nations and they will settle their disputes for many peoples. They will beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nation will not take up sword against nation, nor will they train for war anymore. 
Do you know, I find it really hard in two weeks' time on Remembrance Sunday, not because I don't appreciate what has been accomplished, but the fact that we're still living in a nation which is the most warmongering in our world. We've been involved in more conflict in the last century than most of the other nations. And I find that heart-rending because we have such a strong Christian tradition that the kingdom needs to come. And it needs to come in warring families and in school grounds where there's bullies and those who are persecuted and hurt. It needs to come in the office where those are abusing others. The kingdom of God. And it encompasses all of life, even death. He will swallow up death forever. The sovereign Lord will wipe away the tears from all the faces. He will remove the disgrace from his people from all the earth. The Lord has spoken. But your dead will live. Their bodies will rise. You who dwell in the dust, wake up and shout for joy. Your dew is like the dew of the morning. The earth will give birth to her dead. Even in death is good news. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Jesus' response to the criminal on the cross is fascinating. Without an ounce of deliberation, he says to the dying man, today you will be with me in my kingdom. That's the model for us, brothers and sisters. To live out this grace-giving, radically loving, outwardly focused gospel and kingdom. Do you ever wonder how to approach someone, someone who's ugly and broken and harsh and atheistic and, and all that? I wonder if your posture in mind of the kingdom is to seek to develop friendships of openness that lead a person to the enfolding of God's grace. Try a little experiment this week. As you pull into your driveway, fight the temptation to look past your neighbor. Perhaps for the first time, stop long enough to wonder why God chose to put you together at that same moment in time. And when you drop off the dry cleaning, take seconds to smile and ask the name of the person standing behind the counter. And if he or she has served you well, say so. And as you go into the pharmacist to pick up your prescription, take a good look at that person behind the counter who's assisting you. What's that person's story? Will you carve out two minutes to find out? Let's see the kingdom come. And joy and praise, we're getting there. Joy and praise. Ah, oh, joy and praise. Brothers and sisters in the West, we need to do something about this. I love going to India, and they get their saris, and they whirl them every Sunday, and they dance till they sweat, and they have to sit down exhausted. We sung some great songs this morning. Give thanks to the Lord. His love endures forever. And there was a little bit of joy, a little bit of joy. But brothers and sisters, the kingdom of God is about joy and praise. Someone has said praise is our attempt to cope with the abundance of God's love. Maybe we don't praise because we've not understood the abundance of his God's love. We've forgotten it. Shout for joy, O heavens. Rejoice, O earth. Burst into song, O mountains. What did Jesus say? If we don't praise, the rocks will cry out. O mountains, for the Lord comforts his people and will have compassion on his afflicted ones. They raise their voices. They shout for joy. From the west, they acclaim the Lord's majesty. Don't keep silent. Praise. 
great film, The Armistad. It's about slavery in the Western uh, in America, slave ship. And there's some dear Christians who come, and there's these Africans in jail because it's, there's a difficult legal situation. And they come and they sing Amazing Grace and they, they, they seek to give tracts and to, they bow in the mud and they pray for these uh, African slaves that are locked up in prison. And the African slaves don't know the language that these Americans are speaking, but they can understand body language. And they say something along the lines of, we can see they're sincere, but why are they so sad? They must, there must have been a death. Brothers and sisters, Christ is risen. He is risen. His kingdom is coming. Joy and praise marks out the kingdom and God's people. That's not artificial. But it is saying, let's celebrate. Let's rejoice. Let's have in mind that this kingdom is good and right. And it encompasses all of life a new order. You know, this is all old New Testament, but it's there too of the Old Testament. I want your vision to be enlarged. Behold, I will create new heavens and a new earth. The former things will not be remembered, nor will they come to mind. Praise God. Those who are evil dictators won't be remembered, and the wickedness that they've perpetrated will not be recalled, for we will have eyes to see the goodness of God and his reign and rule. As the new heavens and the new earth that I will make will endure before me, declares the Lord. So will your name and descendants endure. From one new moon to another and from one Sabbath to another, all mankind will come and bow down before me, says the Lord. We're building God's kingdom. And we each play a part. Oscar Romero, who was murdered as he presided in over communion in Latin America because he sought to challenge the status quo. He stood against injustice in the gangs and those who ruled by fear. He said this, the kingdom is not only beyond our efforts, it's beyond our vision. We accomplish in our lifetime only a tiny fraction of the magnificent enterprise that is God's work. Nothing we do is complete, which is another way of saying that the kingdom always lies beyond us. No statement says all that could be. No prayer fully expresses our faith. No confession brings perfection. No pastoral visit brings wholeness. No program accomplishes the church's mission. No set of goals and objectives includes everything. That is what we are about. We plant the seeds that will one day grow. We water seeds already planted, knowing they hold future promise. We lay foundations that will need further development far beyond our capabilities. We cannot do everything, and there is a sense of liberation in realizing that. This enables us to do something, and to do it very well. It may be incomplete, a step along the way, an opportunity for the Lord's grace to enter and do the rest. We may never see the end results, but that is the difference between the master builder and the workers, we build God's kingdom. The question to be decided is whether we march to the tune of a dead and dying regime or walk freely as part of God's new creation in Christ. Should we stand and worship?